What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Ponko Chicken. Ponko Chicken, if you did not already know, is a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine. Uh, there are stores, if you're not familiar, um, all around the Atlanta area. Uh, there's one in Marietta now. There's one in Buckhead. There's one in Shambly. There's one in uh, Midtown. They're popping up everywhere because Ponko is awesome and uh, they're like family. So um, go check out Ponko if you have not already. It is the home of the award-winning Japanese American Chicken Tender just to brag on them a little bit more, they were Verizon Super Bowl Live top-selling vendor, three-peat Taste of Atlanta award winner, um, Midtown Alliance Best Taste winner. Just, they won all the awards because Ponko is great and Ponko is delicious. So if you are in the Atlanta area and are looking to try something new and good and delicious, go check out Ponko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. Uh, also, if you have not already, go check out chasemonspodcast.com. It's where all of my episodes to all of my podcasts are, all of my writing that I do, uh, more information on me and who I am um, and why you should be listening to this podcast and reading my work and all of that great stuff. Go do that. Go to Chase Thomas Podcast today. If you're an Apple Podcast listener, go ahead and leave me five stars and a rating and a review. That's great. I need it. Um, it helps the show continue to grow and all of that good stuff. Um, you can listen on SoundCloud, Spotify, like I said, Apple, Google Play, everywhere where you can get your podcast, the Chase Thomas podcast will be there. So go do that today. Um, all right. I think that's everything. We can get into today's episode. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Welcome back the Chasing Podcast. It's Thursday afternoon, and I'm here with Jeff Siegel of Early Bird Rights, one of my favorite people to talk about basketball with. Jeff, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm, uh, you know, just trying to stay safe, stay healthy. Everybody's, uh, you know, hunkering down right now, but uh, things are good. Yeah. Um, all we can do, all we can do. My birthday's on Saturday. Not sure what I'm doing for that. You know, can't go crazy this year, so gotta gotta figure out what i'm gonna do instead do you have any recommendations for a quarantine birthday uh a netflix marathon that might be the closest thing you can do to a marathon these days um you know it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be hard for for people who are used to you know going out and celebrating or just going out in general um you know i know a lot of the restaurants around uh, around my house have been shut down or takeout only you know it's just it's it's difficult for for a lot of people going through uh trying to sort of live their normal lives but you know this is this is very much not a normal time no no i think i'm just gonna i don't i don't know i haven't decided yet we'll we'll see i have two days to figure this out um but yeah i'm what are you what are you watching on netflix because what i'm watching right now my favorite show that i can talk to absolutely nobody about because i don't know anybody else that watches this is castle rock love castle rock i mean i'm also a big stephen king guy but that show is so good 
and no one watches it. It's on Hulu, but um, yeah, I've never heard of that. I have Hulu, but I've never heard of it. No one watches um, it, but it's so good. I've been watching Money Heist, which is like it's on Netflix. It's a it's all in Spanish, uh, and it's about bank robbers who try to rob uh, a a bank and the and well first the Royal Mint and then the Bank of Spain uh, over these four seasons. I'm in season three right now. Uh, and I just can't put that show down. It's amazing. The pacing and just the, I do not, but it's all subtitled. So you just read the screen. It's kind of like watching parasite, but it's in Spanish. Okay. Okay. Um, and I, I mean, I, so I took four years of Spanish in high school. So like, I kind of know, like I pick up on phrases relatively quickly. Like it came back to me, even though it's been 10 years since I got out of high school. Um, you know, so I pick, I pick up phrases every once in a while that I can just sort of not have to read the subtitles, but for the most part, it's just a subtitled show. Um, so that show, that show has been really good. Uh, and then, you know, just kind of, you know, once I finish that, I'll, I'll move on. I think Ozark is, uh, is on my list as well. Hey, have you gone back and watched a lot of NBA games? Are you one of those people that can do that and still find the same enjoyment going back through old stuff? Or have you not really watched anything older when they're, on like ESPN, like I watched the 2010 game seven. Um, I watched 2016 game seven when that was on. Um, but mostly like, I'm not going out of my way to seek out those kinds of things. Um, I'm, if I'm going to like sit down and watch basketball, like I'm doing draft prep, I'm doing my, you know, my, uh, uh, NBA draft film, you know, film work. So I'm trying to, uh, get through most of the, uh, the top, you know, maybe 30 or so in terms of in depth, you know, diving into the film and then I'll, uh, you know, try to create some uh, some reports on maybe the the next fifty guys or so. I'm, I'm not sure exactly when the draft's going to be, so how much time I'm going to have to really dive in. But right now, I'm trying to get through the top thirty by the end of the month, and I'm like maybe six or seven of uh, six or seven guys on the way through that. Okay, okay. Well, let's talk about the 2021 class because that is what everybody's talking about today. Um, Isaiah Todd was someone who decommitted from Michigan. Um, he's going the G League route. The G League is putting together a Southern California team, which also is going to include Jalen Green. This is a lot of moving parts that I'm not at all familiar with. Like, do you have a good explanation as to why this is all coming about? I mean, I think it's it's trying to mimic the success that Australia's NBL has had with bringing guys in from you know bringing high high-profile high schoolers in R.J. Hampton, LaMelo Ball this last year, Terrence Ferguson the year before, you know, a few years before that. Like, they've had some success with bringing in American teenagers who would be freshmen in college and kind of, you know, building their marketing a little bit around those guys and building their, you know, TV schedules really around those guys and, and trying to, you know, compensate them for coming over. And so now the G League and the NBA, you know, obviously as an extension of that is trying to get in on that by – you know, you know, taking these kids who were going overseas or were doing, you know, other things and just, you know, bringing them into the NBA family early, you know, NBA level coaching and development. And, you know, I think it's an interesting experiment. You know, I wonder, you know, right now the plan is for that team not to actually play like real competitive games. It's just going to be a whole bunch of exhibitions. You know, I wonder how that's going to work. I wonder how that, you know, how how hard is everybody going to be trying in those games? Will that impact, you know, players' draft stock when they're essentially playing non-competitive basketball for the whole year? I mean, there's a lot of moving parts here, but I think the success that the NBL has had with their sort of, you know, the, with their 
young player program. I think it's called the Next Stars. I'm not entirely sure what it's called, but that program that LaMelo Ball and RJ Hampton were part of this year, I think that sort of has, you know, has really spurred the NBA to, to look into this a little bit further. And that makes sense, but it just seems like... <laughs> so they're playing exhibition games against the G League teams, but they're not going to count, so the G League's just adding them to their schedule? Like, I don't understand how that... like. It, it, this is very strange to me. And why is the NBA okay with like, doesn't, isn't this kind of like a slap in the face to the G league teams? Like, what is the point? It, don't you want them in different team incubators where like part of the reason of all these NBA teams getting their own G league team is so that they can develop their own guys and put their system in um, like the Vipers and with, with Houston and the Rio Grande Vipers, whatever um, having their system just go through different leagues. Like what is, what, what has helped by starting your own Southern California super team that isn't playing in real basketball games for a year? Well, okay, so a couple of things there. One, not every team has their own G League team. Denver and Portland are, hopefully they're getting close. I mean, I think that uh, there was some some push for those teams to get them, but I haven't heard anything, you know, positive on that in a while. So, and then obviously with this, you know, massive financial sort of crisis for most NBA teams, I'm not sure those teams are going to be, you know, gung ho about spending a bunch of money on a G League team. We'll see. Hopefully, eventually, that we, you know, the G League can be uh, a true minor league, um, and so that, you know, therefore these guys, you know, every team would have an affiliate, and it, it would work out that way. But until that happens, you know, it, those teams, you know, I think that would be that's that's where this this minor league system kind of fails is if it's not if every team is not connected with an NBA team and every NBA team is not connected with a G League team. Um, Secondarily, as it is right now, these co- these would-be college freshmen can go to the G League, but if you just throw Jalen Green on the Windy City Bulls, what incentive do the Bulls have to to you know develop him in any right. way? Because they're not guaranteed to have him after that, right? It's not like he got drafted by the Bulls and has to spend a year in the G league before he's allowed to come up to the NBA. I think that would be an interesting sort of development of this at, you know, once, you know, if this, this program sort of works, you can draft a high school kid, but until he would have finished his freshman year of college, he's ineligible for the NBA. Yes. You can put him on your G league team and he could develop and you have a, a long-term vested interest in this kid. So you're going to develop him. But as things stand right now, Jalen green goes to the bulls. Jalen green goes to the main, you know, red claws, they're not going to have any interest in developing him and he is going to sort of get lost in the shuffle. This LA team or this Southern California team, I assume it's LA just because that's what most people mean by Southern California. Um, that's, I think that that team is going to be entirely developmental. And so you, you would have, you know, a, a handful of, of high school prospects and a handful of veterans who are, you know what they're signing up for. You get a veteran coach in there who knows what it takes to succeed at the NBA level, but is good at the development process. And then it's, it really is all about these guys developing and everybody is sort of pulling toward the same goal where, you know, and, and you may even have situations where the veterans who join this G league team have incentives in their contract where if this guy goes in the top five next year, you get an extra bonus. I don't know. I mean, that would be a, a smart way to do it. I think, you know, put everybody on the same incentive path 
where it's all about developing these kids. And it's not about getting your own numbers. It's not about winning games. If you're the coach, it's none of that matters. It's all about developing the kids. And it's, if you can sort of get everybody pulling in the same direction, I think this thing can work. For me, it sounds like, um, so one of the books I just read was, um, the last temptation of Rick Pitino, which I highly recommend. It's really great. Um, and it's not just about Louisville and their rise and fall and stuff like that, but it uh, shines a light on a lot of different things in college basketball. Um, just the bag men, how guys get paid, how much Nike, Adidas, and Under Armour are involved in everything now. Um, one of the things that's interesting is that when they talk about the AAU circuit, uh, these kids growing up and going to the games and scouts going to the games and uh, different shoe brands going to these games and sponsoring these different teams is that like if you watch an AAU game, it's it's clear who the potential superstars are. Like they're the, the kid who got um, banned from Louisville, the five-star Brian Bowen. Um, and he gets a lot of shine in this book and it's really sad what happened there and everything. But he, um, when he was playing in these AAU games, like teams would, when they're scouting them, they're not watching the games because the games themselves aren't real basketball. Like you're not being prepared for anything because it's all about the future superstars going up against other future superstars. So, like, AAU is a, not a team game. It's more of, like, I played AAU for a couple of years, but not at the same level as these guys. And it's just different because they are learning to play just with themselves and just go at this other guy to prove that they deserve to be ranked higher on um, these 2020 mocks. And I think when you look at this Southern Cal team and Isaiah Todd and uh, G- Green and guys like that playing together, is they sounds like they're, it's not going to be the team thing. It's just going to be them showcasing what they can do, and especially considering these are all going to be exhibition games and they're literally playing for nothing. I just I think this is going to be... I mean, I don't want to be cynical about this, but it sounds like it's going to be awful basketball and just like uh, a highlight tape for a year where they're just going to have fun and try and do NBA stuff to uh, stay in shape and show that they can um, do high pick and rolls and shoot corner threes. And I, I don't know. It, it doesn't sound appetizing as a viewer that's probably true um i don't imagine that i'm going to spend a ton of time watching this thing you know i I probably would tune in just to just to as a as a curiosity just to see what it's like and eventually i'd go back and watch them for you know for specifically for draft prep but in terms of just the general public are they going to be interested in in watching this this sort of product you know that's an interesting side of this thing is, is the nba investing into this program where they're spending, you know, 500,000, a million dollars on these players on, you know, just individual players when, you know, if, if, are they going to sell tickets to these exhibitions? Are those tickets going to be, you know, super expensive? Are they going to be playing these games in Staples center while the, you know, while the Lakers are away and if the Clippers aren't playing there anymore, you know, who knows like where they're going to be playing these games? How are they going to generate revenue? Is this strictly just like an investment and they're looking to, you know, build this up eventually, but they're not really looking to make money uh, initially. You know, I think that's that's going to be part of it. And then, of course, you know, like you said, the product on the floor has to be somewhat good. And I, I would hope that because the NBA has control over it, they would institute some, a coach or a, a you know a coaching staff that is going to hammer in the the importance of team basketball and. If the team, if everybody is sort of pulling in the same direction of 
you know, we want to see how you operate within the construct of a team. You have the veterans in the locker room who are like, no, this is a team. Like you have to sort of have everybody pulling in that direction. But I do understand where you're coming from that, like the incentives are to sort of showcase that guy specifically and not necessarily, you know, operate within the the team construct. Yeah, because they would just go to a college if they wanted to do that. Like Jalen Green would just go to wherever. Isaiah Todd would just go to Michigan if he cared about the team construct right now. Like he is going to this. Well, I mean, he's going to get better coaching in the G League. Like he's going to get like significantly better skill development. Howard in in Michigan. It's not like he's getting terrible coaching if he had gone to Michigan. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Michigan's probably a a a worse example than some colleges. Like I think you know the the guys who go to Duke in particular, the guys you know Cole Anthony, you know was was not helped by going to North Carolina. Like he, I'm sure if he could go back, he would have rather gone to a, a, a program, either a program or this kind of G league program, something where like you can play with other good players and the, the, the players you're playing with actually know how to play. And the coach knows how to use everybody. And like, so I think but you're not in, also just playing with good players. You're also playing with older guys. Like that's the other part of this is like, you're playing with, yeah. against grown men. Like that is the difference is just how much better G league guys are than college guys. And it could be a rude awakening for these guys. Like it's actually a huge that's why that the part. I think that's why the non-competitive, the exhibition part of this is super important. Like you need, you need for that to not be a, a competitive game at first, at least because the G League guys will just kill these kids, and it just it, they're going to be. How does that help you know, them? If you're the kid, how does it help to get stomped by G League guys? How does it help your brand going into the draft? If what we remember is you getting stomped by a bunch of G League guys. Well, because these things are exhibitions, hopefully there won't they won't get stomped. You know, that's I think that's sort of the plan behind it being an exhibition is that the G League teams that are coming in to play these exhibitions are not necessarily going to put their best foot forward. I don't know that they're going to like that's realistic. If I'm a G League guy, if I'm a 32 year old G League lifer, I'm doing everything I can to embarrass Jalen Green. I'm doing everything I can to go at these kids super hard and show that they don't belong here. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be an interesting sort of part of this. I wonder whether the G League will institute, you know, some sort of rules about these exhibition games where it's like nobody over the age of 21 is allowed to play in these games. Nobody over the age (laughs) of 24. Then it's like just go to college. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, but it's it's just a better version of college. You get more high-level players. Like these these 21 to 24-year-olds in the G League are better than anybody you play against in college, but they're not so good that it's just like oh my god there's no reason for him to be out there you know it's better you get better coaching you get more i mean obviously you get paid which is great you get more practice time you're not limited by the ncaa's practice restrictions you can practice year-round you can work out year-round you get you know better facilities hopefully better you know better uh uh, practice time better coaching all of that stuff i think that is you know all sort of pushes these guys forward developmentally you know there are some some issues with you know what the competition level is going to be who are they going to play in terms of these overseas teams like the spanish national team if they come in that'll be i guess like the under 19s you know spanish national team i think that would be really interesting both for evaluating the spanish team and for evaluating these guys so you know there are some some opportunities for these games to be you know interesting to watch interesting to evaluate and not just a, a curb stomping for, you know, 25 to 32 year old G league guys who are just going to kill these high school kids. Another thing I think is interesting about this is it seems like these kids are picking this because they're able to circumvent the actual G league circuit where they're not going to be 
staying in a crappy hotel on a random Thursday night alone. Like they're not going to be surrounded by a bunch of 32 year old guys. They're not going to be doing what a lot of minor league baseball players have to do, which isn't, isn't good. I don't know if you've been keeping up the news with minor league baseball players. Things are tough. Things are bad. Things have been bad for years now. Um, it's hard. It's a hard life being a minor league baseball player. Um, I, I think these guys would not have done this even with the pay money, like even with G league pay going up and all that kind of stuff. And also these guys are getting paid in college. Like that's just, again, go read the last temptation of Rick Pitino. Like that is happening, but, um, it's more about like, I just, I don't think this is long-term going to be, this is a long-term viable. And that I, I say that because I, this is just weird because they're they're circumventing the actual minor league system of the G League, and I think a lot of kids like Zion was not hurt by playing at Duke. We all remember he almost got hurt with the shoe stuff, but like he had Obama going to his games. Like we saw the numbers when Duke was on TV and the coverage that he got. Like that kind of coverage actually helped the NBA more. And this is like one of the big things about college football, like what it does for the NFL, where all these guys come in in the first round, they're already marketable. All the quarterbacks people already know because they watch them on Saturdays and then they get to just transform and watch them on Sundays. Um, Zion was already a name and like, maybe he would have been a name if he had gone straight to the G league and he still would have broke onto the scene, but like he still was helped by playing at Duke. Like he still, I, I just wish that they would be able to market themselves, get paid on the side and let these kids do that. Because I really don't think a lot of these 19 year olds would enjoy life on the G league circuit for a year or two. Like it sounds great paying them and all that kind of stuff. But I think if given the option, a lot of these kids are like, or I could just have fun, be a kid for a couple of years and also get paid at college. And then I'll go pro. I, I don't know that that's just where I'm at with it. I don't think that this is a long-term solution. I don't think so 10 years from there, now yeah. that this team will exist. I think this is a very, a short term solution as an answer to what Australia was doing and until the G League is fully fleshed out as a, a full-blown minor league system where you can have these high school kids in the draft and then put them into the G League if yes. they want to to get drafted, that then I think that's that's the system that this ultimately gets to. And this is a bridge to that system. It's not this isn't the final the final solution. This is just a solution that then you is a bridge to the actual, you know, end up where we end up with the with the G League. Where are we at with the one and done role? Because it seems like that's been curbed a little bit with everything going on. Um, do you? What do you think? When do you think that's officially gone? I I mean the the plan was for for 2021, and then the plan was for 2022, and now with the institution of this this G League team in in Southern California, I would imagine that that one and done thing is is being pushed back even further into the, the middle of this decade or even the, the later part of this decade. I would imagine that they tried to get the one and done thing through uh, and, and it's just, it wasn't happening. And so they, uh, they instead decide to go this G league route and then we'll hopefully, you know, nix the one and done role as soon as the G league is fully formed with, uh, with teams uh, affiliated with every NBA team. Uh, and, and I think at that point, then you could nix the one and done rule, like I talked about, where you know you can draft a high school kid, but he has to spend at least a year, maybe even two, in the G League, where he, you know, but you have an incentive to develop him because he's part of your your organization, like a true minor league system. You know, I, I don't know how well that's going to work. I don't know how many high school kids are going to be willing to do that. But it is that's that could be an interesting 
pathway for this thing eventually to to work out where the one and done system sort of falls apart but it's still you know you still have these guys gradually moving up the ranks not literally from high school to the uh the full-fledged nba what do you think about salaries um you're a cap guy what do you think is ultimately on the horizon for g league salaries and kids like jalen green opting to go to um these made-up g league teams i mean the the the, the very fact that Jalen Green is going to be making between you know five hundred thousand or maybe even a million dollars for his one year in the G League, and most G League players are making you know forty fifty thousand dollars a year. Like that's, I wonder how well that's going to play in not just in the locker room because the guys who the veterans who sign up for this team know what they're getting into, but the the guys who are playing in these exhibition games against him when you're a you know like you were talking about a G League lifer who has made maybe $500,000 in his life in the G league. And now is coming up against a, a, an 18 year old kid who was making a million dollars to play in the G league for one year. Like, is that going, is there going to be tension there? Is there going, is that going to spill onto the court? I, I just, you know, the, the, the salaries being so outsized for these, these G league players, I wonder how well that is going to play with the, the, the guys who are not making that kind of money. The biggest thing is the shoe deals like that. I get a hundred percent because just with how powerful the big three are, if you're Todd or green, if you're signing a big deal with one of those three, then it makes sense. Or like getting the shoe deal, getting that kind of being able to market yourself at 18 and being able to sign those deals. Like that's the biggest roadblock to the NCAA is that like, they're so invested in getting finally these kids into programs that like Louisville, who's sponsored by Adidas and just different like Maryland and Under Armour and stuff like that. And pushing guys based on where the, the brand is affiliated with. Um, if you go straight to the G league, do these kids is there, I wonder if there's like agreements with different shoe companies, like what's going on there. Cause I'm sure the agents have a lot of sway here and what all is going on with these kids and what promises are being made. But I, I do wonder what that looks like too. Um, do we know anything about their endorsements that any of these kids have signed yet? I don't know specifically about endorsements for either of these two. I do know that some of that 500,000 to a million dollars is part of like marketing campaigns and like you have to, they're very incentive laden. So it's not like $500,000 in base salary. It's going to be a small amount of base salary and then a whole bunch of incentives of like, as long as they are, you know, engaged with the community, they're, you know, doing some of their like classwork almost. I think they're even going to have some. Sort of like necessarily that the, the shoe contracts are 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 baked into that one million dollars maybe it is maybe it's not but i'm not uh i don't think that's entirely clear at this point hmm. well it's gonna be interesting uh no matter what i'm very excited to see how this all unfolds i think it's another interesting wrinkle in the future of college basketball the nba how these young kids are making decisions i i, I like the experimentation i like to see like what this will actually look like um so we'll we'll have to see um june it looks like i mean with Trump meeting with all the different commissioners and um, it seems like we're heading towards a year of sports coming back, but just no fans anywhere across the board for all 2020 Um, basketball needs a month, three to four weeks to get back in shape. It seems like that it's coming back in June. Like that seems like the likely thing. What, um, what do you think? Do you think that that's enough time to come back in June? Do you think 
that uh, things will be drastically different? Do you think some teams are helped more than others? Like, is there a team for you that you think benefits the most from this layoff and then just jumping right into the playoffs in June? I mean, the teams that are going to be helped are the teams that were injured, you know, a month ago when this whole thing stopped. I mean, if Philadelphia gets Ben Simmons back fully healthy from his back injury, that would be great. Like there was some very, you know, there were some real questions about whether he'd be ready for the playoffs in April, May, and June. But if the playoffs are July, August, September, then all of a sudden he's, he might be, you know, re, you know, relatively back to, to full health and can, can participate in those playoffs. You know, you maybe could see a team like Brooklyn with Kyrie and, and Kevin Durant, if those guys are healthy or, or even not, you know, moderately healthy and are out there, how, you know, how does that change the, the playoff? There's no picture? way Kevin Durant plays, right? Probably not. I mean, you would think, but like if the, if the, if this, if the first round of the playoffs is the first week of July, say, say they take all of June to warm up. And then the first week of July is, is the opening of the playoffs. I mean, that would be 13 months after the, the Achilles injury. It's not, a, a, not a perfect timetable, but like that's, you're getting to the point where he's possibly able to, to play in those games. So it's, I don't know that he would want to like come back and immediately get thrown into the playoff crucible. But like, it's possible that, you know, 13 months after his injury, he could be, he could be back out there. Hmm. And the Nets, I think had, were on a winning streak without Kyrie and Katie before the season ended, if I am not mistaken. Um, they might actually be helped by just going through the rest <laughs> of the playoff regimen without both of them. Um, for me, I think the Raptors are helped a lot. Like they were, I mean, just going through the the gauntlet of their season and Pascal having the type of season that he's having, but they were dealing with some serious injury stuff. And like you said, the teams that were really injured um, are going to be benefited from this, but like, they're also just an older team and getting a healthy Fred Van Fleet and Lauer, like all those guys just having time to rest, I think actually increases their chances of getting into the Eastern conference finals. Like I, I still think that's pretty crazy. They're, they could easily get there, but I think that's a very much a possibility. And then out West, the Rockets seem like a team that really benefits from this. Where like just the style that they play and just James Harden getting a break, Russell Westbrook getting a break, the PJ Tucker getting a break. Like those guys, just the way they play with Rocco and everybody else, like a month and a half, two month layoff before they go gung-so back to their style of basketball, I think actually really helps them as like a team that could just come out guns blazing and catch a lot of people off guard and just win some series that they should not win. I I'm very interested to see what Mike D'Antoni's rockets look like in the playoffs. If it starts right away, because I think there's a real possibility either Harden comes back super out of shape and they just get blitzed or they come back just ready to go and, and just shoot the lights out and play at a, a pace that the rest of the league just can't keep up with. I, I'm very interested in the rockets. Yeah, I think that your your point about the Rockets and in particularly about Harden is a good one because he's the last several years has really slowed down in the playoffs where, you know, at some point you just run out of gas if you're mm -hmm. James Harden and you're trying to gun for the MVP every year and you get close, you know, whatever, four out of the last five years, he's finished in the in the top five or five of the last six or something like that. You know, he's done so well with this the regular season. But when you can see him slowing down when you get to the playoffs, because the playoffs are harder, because he's he's put so much into the regular season, having this time off may really help him. Like, you know, of course, there's the opposite side where, you know, if he's not really working out right now, then maybe it hurts him. Maybe it hurts all the older guys who need more time to ramp up than you would than you would expect for some of the younger guys. You know, a team like Memphis with John Morant, hopefully they get their their guys back healthy, Brandon Clark. 
uh, Jaron Jackson, maybe even Justice Winslow with the back issue. If those guys are healthy, they're not going to need as much time to ramp up and get ready to go. If they have, you know, four, three or four weeks in June to get ramped up, all of a sudden they're, you know, getting into the first round of the playoffs and they're healthy and they're spry and they're ready to go. You know, I think, uh, you know, guys like, you know, older guys, LeBron James, Chris Paul, these guys come into the regular season at a certain level, but also need part of the regular season to sort of play themselves into shape. And and I think that's if you're if you're taking three or four weeks and then all of a sudden the playoffs are going to start the, the older teams, the more experienced teams, the guys who are you know, have a, are at a larger injury risk when they're not fully ramped up. I would worry more about those guys than I would, uh, than I, than I think it would benefit them just to have that rest. I think there's a, a, a real sort of inflection point somewhere where the rest is not, is, is too much to the point where the, the injury concerns really start to ramp up. Another thing to think about too, if we just skip the rest of the regular season and we just go straight to the playoffs, because I think you can easily do that. The magic are, we're going to get the eight seed. And I think they're, the Grizz were up three or four games on uh, the next closest team in the West before the season abruptly ended. Um, I would probably do that, wouldn't you? Like just start one through eight and just start the playoffs. I don't think we need to play those last few games. Do you? Well, I think financially, a lot of teams are going to want to. You know, I, I think it yeah. was uh, Brian Windhorst who reported that uh, every team needs to hit seventy regular season games in order to fulfill their their local TV contracts. And with everything, with so much of a focus on on money and, and for for the teams, for the players, for everybody right now, I think they would probably want to get everybody to seventy or get everybody to whatever magic number fulfills those you know those regional sports networks contracts. I think that's going to be important, and it's also, I mean, competitively, you know, I think the Grizz were up a few games on the Pelicans, but the Pelicans also had, like, there were, I think, at least two, maybe even three games remaining between those two teams, because they're playing in the same division, Hmm. so, I mean, it would certainly be unfortunate for the Pelicans, who, you know, put together a a little bit of a late-season run, had Zion back healthy, were going to put some pressure on Memphis for that eight seed, It it would be really unfortunate for them to not be able to at least try to see that through in, in full. But I, at this point, I don't think that they're going to be able to to be, to be really see the entire regular season through. So it, it is really at, uh, you know, I think it's through, to the Grizzlies' advantage that, that whether even if they play five games or they play no regular season games, it's it's that, I think they're pretty much locked into that, that eight seed. When you look at the teams that are just going to miss the playoffs – the Kings, the Spurs, do you think that those organizations are now going to approach the offseason differently because they did not have the opportunity to steal that eight seed? Because I think a lot of these teams would do things differently if they made the playoffs versus if they didn't. Um, this would also end the Spurs streak of making the playoffs like 22 straight years. Um, pour one out for them. Do you think that these teams that were close but didn't pan out um, are going to operate differently this summer? I wouldn't necessarily expect, you know, those teams in particular to operate super differently. You know, I, I think from the year, you know, from the year before, I think Sacramento in particular thought that they were going to make a leap and then Marvin Bagley got hurt and the Dwayne Dedman thing flopped and all and, and the I think the coaching change hasn't worked out as well as, as they wanted to. And you know, now all of a sudden they haven't made that step forward. That I think that is going to influence their decision making more so than like necessarily the fact that the, the the season ended a little bit early and it doesn't and, and they didn't get a chance to fight for the eight seed. Yeah, I um 
I'm very interested to see what the Spurs do with Aldridge and um, DeRozan because they're <laughs> the Spurs have just pieces that they can throw around and see what happens. And like, I think there's zero chance that they're paying DeRozan at this point. Uh, but Aldridge has been really good for them, and um, it makes sense to keep him around at least for one more year. But like, Spurs are interesting and very interesting time. And then the Kings with Bogdan's free agency and um, Buddy Heald being a six guy and him just being pissed off all year long. Like the Kings are always seemingly in turmoil, but we'll see what happens there. Like I am very interested to see what these teams do now that they missed the playoffs and they're headed towards the lottery and um, they've paid a lot of money for a lot of different guys. So I I'm just, I'm circling them as teams that like, Oh, let's see what they do this summer because I think there's real possibilities to make significant changes. Yeah. I mean, I think you're, you're right. Especially with the Spurs, you know, with DeRozan, I know he made some noise about wanting to get out of there. He's got that player option. I'm not sure that he's going to forego that option because he's not going to get that money back. So maybe he opts in and, and then, you know, forces his way out through a trade or whatever. But I think there are, uh, you know, I think those teams in particular, there are, you know, I, I wonder what New Orleans does. Do they see themselves as, you know, right there and Zion's fully healthy? They bring back Ingram and they they try to really make a push next year. How does that go? Is that more like what the Kings went through this year? Or is it, you know, more like what the Thunder went through a few, you know, in 2010 where they, you know, saw that they were going to be good. They made the eighth seed and then they, you know, they obviously, you know, really pushed and made the finals in 2012 and then have been, you know, pretty much really good ever since then. So, you know, it's, there's a lot of different paths for, for New Orleans to go down. You know, how are they going to, to operate with their financial flexibility and, and what are they going to do with, with the free agents that they've got, Derek Favors, Brandon Ingram in particular. So, you know, I think that uh, New Orleans is, is particularly interesting whether they make the playoffs or not. If they don't, you know, assuming at this point they don't, you know, what happens if they jump up in the lottery again? You know, this is this there is no, you know, high end draft prospects now, but you know, it certainly would be better for them to, you know, have Anthony Edwards than it would for them to have, you know, whoever goes at, you know, thirteen or fourteen in the draft. So, you know, I think that uh they've got some some interesting decisions ahead of them as well. Especially Drew Holiday too, because I mean he was maybe on the market, maybe not on the market. Um if they have another lottery pick and just the way they're building their team, they're gonna have to fade Ingram, they're eventually gonna have to fade Zion, like they're just gonna get pricey very soon um i i'm very interested to see if holidays on this team in 2020 2021 um i have my doubts but um it should be interesting there um anthony edwards have you dove into his tape yet yes i did that maybe two three nights ago i, I really decided that uh, that he was one of the first guys i think cole anthony was the first guy that i really dove into because mm-hmm. well so the, the way i do the draft is i make preliminary notes based on stats and and limited film for like 45 guys or so. And then I go back to the top and then really deep dive into each guy. And Cole Anthony was the first guy I did. Uh, Anthony Edwards was the, the second guy. So I'm, I'm very familiar with, with Edwards overall. What do you, what do you see when you watch Anthony Edwards? Do you think he is a surefire number one overall pick in this draft? I mean, I know you haven't gotten through everybody yet, but what do you see when you watch Anthony Edwards? What, What's your NBA comp and what kind of player is he? He is not my number one guy. He's my number three guy mm. right now. Uh, you know, with still knowing that there are, you know, guys that I need to watch. I've got LaMelo and Killian Hayes ahead of him because I think those guys have that sort of primary point guard playmaker upside that he doesn't have. I don't think he has the, the, he, he's not, I don't, th- I don't look at him as the guy who can absolutely run 
on your offense in the way that Lamelo and Killian Hayes at least have that sort of level of upside where, you know, if those guys hit all the way, they are going to be the central, the central hub for an above average offense. Whereas, you know, I think Edwards fits into some, you know, fits into a, an above average offense, fits into an elite offense per, potentially, but isn't necessarily that, uh, that guy at the center of everything. And so I think that's why, you know, his upside is a little bit lower than those guys. But of course, you know, I think his, you know, his physicality and his scoring and his ability to get to his spots, you know, you work with him on his shot selection, you work with him on his outside shot, you, you know, hopefully you can, you can work on his passing a little bit. There are, there is an outline to that sort of point forward who, who can really run things, but I don't, I don't think that he is, is necessarily as, as he doesn't have the same sort of percentage chance to hit that high level primary playmaker upside that uh, some of these other guys do. And that's what's interesting is that you name three guys, right? They all need the ball in their hands of those three lottery picks, right? The Hawks are, they have a shot of being the top three. Like, what do they do if they fall in that top three and Hayes, Mello, or Edwards is sitting there? Because I know every Hawks fan wants Edwards and the Georgia connection, all that kind of stuff. But like, like you said, for him to develop and make it worthwhile, he needs to have the ball in his hands and needs to eventually become that point forward that um, has a high usage rate. And what I've my biggest critique of Trey Young this year has been that, and this isn't necessarily his fault, but he's a high usage guy and he has a usage over thirty percent. And like you, when the Steve Nash comparisons and like he can talk all he wants about Steve Nash and the, him, how much he likes him, and it's like it's not who you play like. That's just not reality. Like he needs to take a dose of reality. That's not. Steve Nash was a 22% usage guy. He was pass first. And like Steve Nash talked about it after his career was over where he was like, I probably should have shot more. I probably should have looked for my shot more, but like, I'm not wired like that. Trey young is looking for a shot. Like he, he's more James Harden where he is. He's a great passer. He's a great passer when he wants to be, but he has like, he's still looking for his own shot. Ultimately, he still has the Kobe in him where he wants to just kill guys with the shot and kill teams. And that's okay in a vacuum, but he's just, it's very hard for Kevin Herter to develop into an all-star player playing next to Trey Young. Like that's impossible because he just won't get the touches. He won't get the opportunities. And yes, he can run the backup point guard spot and get some reps there. But I think when you look at the way the Hawks are built right now and adding one more lottery pick, especially a guard, I just, I don't know how that works. So I, and you don't trade down the NBA draft like that just rarely works. And I, I don't know. I, I just I think the Hawks are in a weird spot with this guy. So have you thought about this at all? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's it's going to be interesting to see where they fall if they do fall in that top three. You know, where do they go with that? Who you know is there a team who is willing to to trade up? I think that would be smart if they can if they can find the the value in trading down and still picking up like Isaac Okoro or Devin Vassell or somebody like that. You know, that would make sense to me if they were looking to do that. They could even sort of reach for those guys at number three or number four, I, you know, I, at number one, it's like, you know, do you really want to take a guy who you, you think is just going to be a role player at number one? Like, that's just a lot of pressure to put on a kid to, to take him number one and really then expect him to be just a role player. So, you know, at that point, I mean, they just you know, maybe Hunter to be a role player. Like that's basically what they just did. Yeah. And, and at number four, I think that's fine. Like if they fall at number four and want to take, you know, Halliburton or Vassal or Okoro, that's totally fine. I think at number one, it's a, just a little bit different in terms of the expectations of what a number one overall pick does. They, 
you know, you can certainly spin it that like this draft is not that great. And they don't, you know, they don't have a need for that primary playmaker. They've got Trey Young. He's going to be the guy. I'm not sure that I would be totally out on Edwards if I were them just because they happen to have Trey Young on their team. You know, LaMelo Ball, you know, Killian Hayes, I think Cole Anthony is not somebody that they can really target, you know, even further down, like Tyrese Maxey is not somebody that they can target with, with that pick. But like, you know, Edwards can be that secondary guy that they wanted Kevin Herter to be. And we always sort of, we, I think publicly, because we didn't really know what was going on internally, we thought that Kevin Herter was not developing because Trey was sort of selfish or he wasn't getting him the ball or he just wasn't, you know, Herter was not getting those opportunities. And then you sort of, you know, you, you learn more about what was going on behind the scenes and that Kevin Herter came into camp out of shape, you know, got hurt a little bit, was never really, you know, never really showed that he was the guy who they could trust to take over that role. Like what's the point in developing Kevin Herter to be that secondary guy, that second star in the backcourt next to Trey young when he hasn't earned that with his work ethic and with, you know, how well he takes care of himself, you know, and I think they're working with him on that. But when he came out of the summer out of shape and hurt, you know, they, they, they I don't think they trusted him to, to be that guy anymore. And, and Edwards can be that guy and they do need, a, a secondary creator, you know, mm. on the, on the perimeter. And I think if Edwards, to me, Edwards is not going to be that primary guy. So if you have him be a very high end secondary guy, he, he kind of does fit really nicely next to Trey Young. What are their upsides defensively? Because another thing about Trey, I don't know if people knew this or not, but he had the worst <laughs> of real plus minus again, like again, worst. Yeah. He's the, the worst defender in the league. So when people talk about this stuff, like he can get better. I'm like, no, he can't. Like he's the worst. I mean, worst. he can get, he's he can get be better. Terrible. But he's, like there's no he's way not gonna he's be not good. terrible. No way. He's like, <laughs> it's so like his bad. upside is like the 10th percentile. Like right. if he tried on defense, he'd still be like worse than nine out of 10 point guards because he is tiny and he has got this astronomical usage rate offensively, yep. which of course, like if you had an Anthony Edwards to take some pressure off of him, Maybe Trey would have, you know, some sort of, of, you know, energy to play, to, to play a little bit of defense. But if he's, if he's primarily involved with like 75 to 80% of the Hawks possessions offensively, it's hard to expect that kid to also give a shit defensively. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on your podcast, but I don't, you know, that's the James Harden stuff. Like that was the biggest thing with James Harden is like people got onto him like that dude's usage rate is insane. You can't ask this guy to carry your offense and also be an average to above average defender. It's extremely hard to do that. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking at a guy with a 30% usage rate and that's just his own possessions Mm -hmm. and then he also has a 40% assist rate. I mean, he's, he's pretty much the entire offense at that point. And we know from watching it, but you can look at the stats even and just see how much is on Trey Young's shoulders and how hard it is for a guy who the only thing he could bring to the table defensively is effort, even if he had, if he had the energy for it, but if he doesn't have the energy for it, he's going to be the the worst defender in the league for for his entire career. And he's already been that for these past two years. So, you know, getting a secondary guy in there, really want him to be your best player. Do you really want your best player to be the league worst defender for years? Do you really want that? Yeah, because he can also be one of the five best offensive players in the world if he if he develops, you know, fully. And he's already like on the way there. Like if if you just looked at what a player can do offensively, you would have to put Trey Young in the 
top 15 already in his second year. And so, yeah, like as a point guard, as a, in an offense first environment, like we're in right now, trading a top 15 offensive player for the worst defensive player in the world. Like, yeah, you just, you, you absolutely take that deal and you just figure out how to, to build the defense around him. And that's, you know, you know, hopefully Edwards could help with that. You know, I think he's got some potential as like a, a point guard defender where you can hide Trey on, you know, a, a wing who doesn't have a, a whole lot of skills and is just going to be a spot up guy. You can put Edwards on point guards. He slides well. He's strong. You know, he's really strong. You know, he, he's got some length to him. You know, he's you're going to have to sort of challenge him to to take on that role. But I think he has that sort of upside defensively as well. So I think, you know, that's where Edwards becomes a, a really good fit on both ends of the floor next to next to Trio. It'll be interesting to see, but um, I also would have just kept the guy who's going to be league MVP next year. That might have. Yeah, I mean that's obvious. Also. Like we don't have to keep rehashing that. You know, I, I'm with you on that all the way. There was, and it's it becomes even more apparent with you when you see how easily and how much more flexibility the Mavs have yep. in who they're allowed to go after because their primary playmaker is a wing and mm-hmm. can guard three, four positions potentially, whereas Trey can guard not even one position, <laughs> you know, and it's not like Luca's good. Luca's bad on defense. Like yep. he's terrible, but he's big enough to where he's not just absolutely murdering you on that end like Trey does. And, and that's, you know, that's part of it. And, and then the team building around him, it's so much easier to build around a, a primary playmaker who's six foot seven, six foot eight, six foot nine, than it is a guy who's six foot six one. Yep. Like it's just easier to do that. You've got l- way more flexibility with who you can target. You know, you look at the top of this draft and you, you know, look at LaMelo Ball and Killian Hayes and, and Cole Anthony and, and, you know, Tyrese Maxey and Kyra Lewis. If, if they, you know, they're not going to drop that far, but, you know, Kyra Lewis down, you know, in the, the 10 to 15 range, the, the Hawks can't take any of those guys unless they have a trade already set up. But like they can't really take any of those guys because their guy is a point guard. Their their primary guy is a point guard where like the 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 Mavs have no issues with that. The Mavs can take anybody they want. They can sign anybody they want and it'll always work out because you know Luca plays a a more fungible position. He can defend multiple positions. Even if he doesn't do it well, you can get away with him guarding twos, threes, maybe even fours. Whereas, you know, Trey has to be completely hidden in a way that is, you know, really detrimental to your overall team building. Yeah, um, I don't know. We'll have to see. But uh, it's it's still frustrating, I'll say. It'll never not be frustrating for me. <laughs> but you know what? I photoshopped a Hawks jersey onto him and uh, he, is, he is my long forgotten Atlanta son. Um, You'll always have the, the, the photo of him, the real life photo of him shaking hands with adam silver in the hawks hat you already knew that he was gone at that point everybody did but technically he put on the hat and you'll always have that you'll always have zion tapping the, the hawks logo at the lottery yeah these are the things that hawks fans can can sort of hold their hat on and it's not i mean this I is remember where i very was morbid. when the trade happened i remember where it was when luca put on the hawks hat i know exactly where i was i remember <laughs> my reaction i remember just the euphoria of like he fell i can't believe this dude fell to three we've got him like it's just fine like the hawks basketball is gonna be amazing for 15 years like i'm getting season tickets like i'm ready and then to trade back and um it was it was brutal like my mood just the the change in a matter of minutes from that night will uh will stay with me for for the rest of my life it's it's 
and it's it's the worst really of for me ever more than 28 to yeah more than 23 people are like yeah that sucked that sucked but basketball is still my number one thing and just <sighs> and knowing that like 28 to 3 was a single opportunity yes to win a title and you know it's a it's a, a single thing it's a it's a one-time event whereas you know this luka Doncic trey young thing is going to haunt the, the hawks for 15 years and you're going to have to think about it literally every single time you talk about the hawks it's going to be like well, you know, maybe they can make the conference finals this year, but there's Luca. He's won his third championship and his fifth MVP. You know, I don't know that he's going to be that, you know, that kind of player, I mean, but like, winning MVP it's always going to be. Too. That's happening. And like, that's something I talked to Hawks fans about. Like, what's your excuse when he wins MVP next year? Like, he's top five in real plus minus right now. Like, he is going to get there because there's going to be voter fatigue with Harden, voter fatigue with Giannis, voter fatigue with LeBron. He's the next man up of like, oh, who's the next young guy that we can give an MVP to? And it's Luca. Yeah. Luca's gonna get it. Yeah, I mean he's he's going to win at least one, if not multiple, MVPs. And you know, Trey it's just that's the one. way it's just not gonna happen. No, probably I don't think he he you would have to have a sort of like Allen Iverson type season in two thousand one mm-hmm. where there was so much voter fatigue with some of the the other guys and you know, you, you have sort of a dearth of, of talent, but we don't have a dearth of talent right now. So that's not going to be, you know, part of it. He'd have to to really just take the Hawks to like 60 wins or something ridiculous like that. And it's possible. Like that's that's the one thing that like when we always get really down on the Hawks for not taking Luka Doncic, it's like at least they didn't take Marvin Bagley. True. Like they, they got they the, second the second best, best player, player in the draft. draft. Yes. And that like, is fair. you know, Trey Young is an all-star. He is knocking on the door of a, you know, top, 20 ish player in the league like in terms of how they could have done in the draft trey young is like the 95th percentile outcome for for most players yeah you know even at the number three spot or the number five spot like you you still hit an absolute home run with trey young so none of this is any way a negative on trey young he is a phenomenal basketball player but you had the chance to hit a grand slam right 500 feet out of the stadium and it was super obvious and the pitch the was right down do the middle thing you had to like right. that's the other thing is like he was just there like i would not be mad at the hawks at all if they were just drafting fifth if that's how they'd done it and they had just taken Trey, sure. like that's fine like if he was that would have been there. fantastic but they the pitch came right down the middle they went out of their way to to not hit it as far as they could have and you know to to us to everybody on the outside like it was super obvious obviously they thought very highly of Trey Young. They were right to think very highly of Trey Young. Like, obviously, he's turned into a phenomenal player, and he is going to be the leader of this team, provided he doesn't ask out, you know, in the next few years. If he, you know, if he sticks around, he is going to be the leader of this team for the next, you know, 10, 15 years, and they're going to have a ton of mid-tier success in terms of, you know, pushing into the conference finals a couple times or whatever like that. You know, he has some upside to be, you know, and sort of, you know, all NBA first or second team kind of guy. I, I think there's there's a possibility that his offense is so good that he gets there. But like it was right there on the table for them to to take, you know, the, the, the best player in the draft. One of the best players we've seen come through the draft in 10 years. And, you know, it's always going to be the what if that, that they that they didn't take him. And to not end on a sour note with the Hawks stuff, I um what we saw with Cam Reddish before this all ended his development especially on ball defense like Reddish was coming into his own like I am 
I'm willing to roll back my Cam Reddish might be one of the worst offensive players I've ever seen in my life, Tim. Because <laughs> that's good. I mean, what he was doing early on the season, like, was unbelievable. Like, it was just, what are you doing? Like, he was doing so much dumb stuff offensively, where it was just like, I don't know what this is, but I don't like it. But you see the defense where it's like, this guy is going to be able to guard the uh, opposing team's best player. Like maybe he can be OG and Anobi. like where the upside, like he can dribble a little bit, like he can, they can try him out as lead point guard in summer league in the next year and see what happens there. But like, I, I am a lot higher on him. I'm super low on Hunter. Like Hunter's that stock is less. He was already older, but like that dude, you will forget he is in games. Like the amount of times I've been taking notes for Hawks games this year, where Hunter has just been like, I'll write some like, is he in right now? What is Hunter doing? Like, where is Hunter? And when he started wearing the armband, I was able to find him faster because I was like, oh, there he is. He's doing the Tony Snell thing. Like, he has a lot of Tony Snell in him, and that's not somebody you trade up for in the lottery at all. But I uh, I don't know. It's I'm very out on him, and now I'm intrigued that, like, oh, maybe Cam Reddish can be Paul George. That's that's There you go, Hawks fans. Like, I'm a Hawks fan. Like, I want them to be good, but, like, there you go. That is my positive, positive take is that I think Cam Reddish is actually going to be pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I liked Reddish, you know, once he, you know, once he sort of got his feet under him and like by mid December to early January, like you could see the defense come around to the point where he was like an above average defender, you know, at the point guard spot at the two, you know, I don't know that he is going to be somebody big enough to like, you know, mold into an OG Ananobi, but OG is, is so strong and and just such a, a great forward ISO defender. Like OG is a guy you can put on LeBron, you can put him on Giannis, you can put him on Kawhi Leonard, and you know Cam is not going to ever be big enough for that. And that's where Hunter perhaps comes in. You know they haven't really needed that from Hunter because they're not good enough to where you know you know defending LeBron James is a primary concern of them. You know for for them, but I think Hunter because he's bigger has that level of upside. Like Hunter has is closer. His, his, his reasonable ceiling is closer to OG Ananobi than anything that Cam Reddish can do. Cause Cam is just never going to be that big. He's never going to be that strong. He is more, he, I mean, Paul George is at a high, very, very, very high end, you know, co- comparison, but Paul George gets overwhelmed when he has to guard Giannis and LeBron James and even Kawhi Leonard. Like he's not, He's not big enough for that, but he doesn't get overwhelmed when he's guarding point guards where he can slither through screens. He can, he can use his length. He can use because guess who can't guard point guards. Trey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And that's why, to, you know, surrounding him with as many guys as possible who can you know defend that, that point of attack is going to be important. And, and cam sort of developed into one of those guys. Hunter is not necessarily one of those guys, but he is a, he is the, the big forward defender who is going to be much more important for them when they're a very good team than he is when they're not a very good team. Because right now his defensive impact just doesn't matter on a, on a, on a bad team. But on a good team, I, I can see his, if he, you know, if he rounds into form, I think his, his defense will matter at the highest levels. And his, in the, you know, if you're looking at Jason Tatum as somebody who is going to need to be defended if the Hawks are going to, you know, beat the Celtics in a playoff series someday, that's that's going to be a DeAndre Hunter thing. Like that's you know Cam is not going to be big enough, tall enough, strong enough for that. But that's going to be a DeAndre Hunter assignment, and he is going to have to 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 do that. And so his you know his primary value for the Hawks long term, you know, isn't really going to show up when the team is bad like this. But when the team is good, if he develops properly, 
you know, he, I think that uh, the people are going to, to see where his value lies. Who do you think makes the most sense for the Warriors? Because I'm so fascinated by like what they do in the lottery. Um, what, what do you, what do you expect or from who you've seen so far, who would you like to see play next to Steph Curry, Clay and Draymond the most who, who fascinates you the most in that, in that system? I mean, you would like them to trade down out of the number one pick and try to, you know, if they could pick up six or seven and pick up like Devin Vassell or Isaac Okoro, you know, Okoro, I worry about the jump shot. Like his jump shot is broken. You know, he's got, uh, he uses his left hand just as much as his right. It's like a two handed weird shot. And like his arms end up crossed and his feet are all over the place. And like, so Okoro's jump shot's a little bit more confirmed that it's, it's very broken and very ugly to watch. But he's also it's, fun yeah, to watch it, in college. Like he's a fun college player to watch. But you're like, I don't know how this translates to the NBA. I mean, the defense is going to translate immediately. Just he's the, the offense, best defender. Yeah. yeah, the offense is going to be a problem, and like they're going to have to work with him on that. And do they have the the patience? And because they're trying to win titles right now, do are they going to have the patience to really work with him on the jump shot, or are they to sort of bury that? And I think you know Devin Vassell is sort of the guy who you know makes the most sense for them in terms of just the fit, you know, he's going to be a guy who can contribute on both ends at an NBA level, like pretty much immediately. Like he's going to, you know, he's a guy who can hit catch and shoot jump shots. He can create a little bit for himself, but if you put him in a system where he doesn't really need to create for himself too much, then, you know, because they've got, you know, Steph and Draymond and clay, like they, you know, they don't necessarily need that from him. I think he, you know, has, he's going to have a lot of value as a floor spacer you know, even in that like the the motion heavy offense that they do, where everybody needs to be able to you know catch and make the right decision. You know, I, I wonder you know how well he holds up there. He's got some you know he's a pretty good passer for a wing, but I worry about his decision making and his you know ability to catch and make the right decision in a split second. That's not necessarily something that he showed a ton of at, at Florida State this year. I think he was much more of a a guy who liked to catch and look and dribble and jab step a little bit. Like he had some of that in his game and they're going to have to work that out if they can, you know, but if they end up at number one, like they're not going to take Devin Vassell number one They're You know, I, I would imagine they probably take, you know, Anthony Edwards and hope it works out and I hope they'll take Wiseman. Like, no, I, I wouldn't take why, but I, you know, I don't have Wiseman in the top 10 even. So really? like, I don't think that, yeah, I don't, I don't think that he's somebody that teams should, go out of their way to, to, to bring in, like he might be really good, but like the, the replacement level at center is so high that like, you know, if you want to take a center, you know, take, take a Kongwu out out of USC, like he's, he's a better prospect than, than, than Wiseman is. And so I, I, I would, I would uh, avoid Wiseman. If you, if you need a center, go, you know, go elsewhere first. And then, you know, if you, if you end up in the, the late, the late part of the lottery, then I think Wiseman makes a little bit more sense. Um, but if the Warriors you know, but, get number one overall, who do you think makes the most sense? And they don't trade down, like they just have to take somebody number they one. They just have to take that pick. Then yeah. I think, whew, I'm really torn between either taking LaMelo Ball just as the best player available, take the best playmaker you can, and if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, then you can trade Ball you know, a, a year down the road. Or you just take Anthony Edwards as sort of the guy who – seems to fit the best among the guys who can reasonably go number one and just, you know, hope and, and hope that he's not, you know, a, the second coming of Andrew Wiggins. And you just kind of, you know, they, they've got this project already in Andrew Wiggins, who is sort of a score first wing who needs to 
sort of develop in every other area, but hasn't yet. And it's like, what if Edwards is another Andrew Wiggins? Like that's going to just, that would be, you know, kind of unfortunate for them. I don't think he is. I think he's sort of, you know, watching him in interviews, watching how he's sort of developed from, from high school to, to his freshman year at Georgia, you would think that he's got a little bit more of that, that, that sort of the work ethic that it takes to be a, a high level NBA player. But, you know, I think Edwards is the best fit for them. I think LaMelo Ball is the best player overall, but really if you, if they get the number one pick, they hopefully will be looking to, to move it in order to, you know, pick up a lower draft pick or try to, to, to use it to get some, some, you know, veteran who can really help them immediately. I hope it's LaMelo personally. Like I would love, 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 love to see LaMelo, Clay, Draymond, and Curry play together. I, a lot more than I would D'Angelo Russell. Like that stuff, I was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't think this is going to work. But LaMelo, he's just, it's so interesting just because of how big he is. He's 6'8", 180. Like how that would work. Like I just, I would love to know if he could fill the Andre Iguodala stuff. Like I would love to see if he could play with those guys and they could all make it work. I, I don't know. Like, I think that would be the most interesting to watch. I would, cause I think he's just, he's tantalizing in that group, right? Like I would love to see that more than Edwards. I really would. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the, the higher upside play would be to take ball and just, if it works, then you've, you're, you're, you're walking to a championship. Again. Yeah. Like if you, if it works, you are immediately one of the, the, very very tip top teams and you probably are anyway if everybody's healthy but like you're really you know knocking on the door of being able to sort of re rebuild this dynasty around ball and with with curry and clay and draymond as more supporting options for him if it works but the the downside of if it doesn't is looks very similar to what happened with d'angelo russell where it just doesn't work and they quickly realize that ball and 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 the rest of their team don't play well together that ball is not the sort of team first decision maker that he would need to be in, in a system like that, that he maybe is unhappy filling a, you know, 18% usage role like Andre Iguodala. Like he wants to be a, a 30% usage point guard. Like, I don't know. You, you'd have to, you know, really, inter- I think that comes down to the personality of LaMelo ball and what you're going to get from him and, and how he is going to handle being a fourth option on a championship level team or being the first option on a more normal lottery team so i I, you would have to you know you'd you'd have to really look into the background and the personality traits that he's got and some of the 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 intel the the non-basketball intel would be super important with him in terms of you know fitting him into the the warrior system last thing and then we'll wrap up here um now that everything's changed with corona free agency is obviously going to get pushed back the draft's getting pushed back do you think teams that had a lot of cap space like the hawks and other teams like that are going to avoid these bad contracts this summer. And also, as of right now, who do you think is giving out the worst contract this summer? I mean, who's giving out the worst contract this summer? That's a, that's an interesting one because you'd have to look at the teams with cap space. So you're looking at Atlanta, Charlotte, Detroit, Maybe Miami, depending on how they do things. Maybe Phoenix, depending on how they do things. Uh, did I mention the Knicks? I, I don't know if I mentioned the Knicks or, or, or not. 
They're up the there. Knicks are always up there for that. But of course, they've got new leadership. Leon Rose is is in there. Hopefully that they, they could do a little bit better. You know, Travis Schlenk, based on just having so much money to give out, is is a, is a, always a good bet to, to give out a weird contract. I'm not sure it'll be the worst one, but it'll be something like if he does something like what he did with Jabari Parker last summer, that wasn't the worst contract because it wasn't big enough to be the worst contract, but it was just immensely strange. Like there was no reason for him to, to give a player option on that contract. Um, you know, so I think, you know, the, the, the Hawks, the Knicks are, are good bets to do that. You know, the bulls would have been, but now they're not going to be because they've, they've got new leadership. The Knicks, you know, have that new leadership. We'll see how they handle things. You know, I think the, uh, the Hornets, you know, perhaps could be, you know, in that conversation as well. But, you know, I think if I'm a team with cap space this summer, there's an opportunity here to get some guys locked in on lower lower values because you know if if the cap comes down and sort of the expectations from everybody come down that contracts are not going to be as lucrative that you know that there's no there's not a whole lot of teams that have a lot of financial flexibility some of the teams that would have been you know have the the the, the regular uh, mid-level exception are not going to have that because they're going to be too close to the tax you know assuming that the the cap really comes down like there's going to be there's going to be a lot less money out there and there aren't as many players who deserve that kind of money. So it kind of works out that this is the year that the, the money might come down. But if you're a team with cap space, you can try to go bargain hunting when the expectations are so low for some of these guys, you can get, you know, you know, what if you could get Justin holiday instead of at 9 million a year, you can get him at 6 million a year. Like that would be really good. Even if it's just a short term deal, like that would be, that would be something that I would be looking for if I'm a team with space or even just with the, the, the regular mid-level exception. But you didn't answer the second part of this question. Who gives out the worst What was contract? the second part? Which team does it? Oh, Who well. Who gives out the worst one? With the, the absolute worst one? Whew. Um, I mean, I hate to go with Atlanta just because they've got so much room. I'm worried they've that got they're going to so give Tom Blonde money this summer. I'm worried that that's going to happen. Oh yeah, I mean that's I didn't even think about that. I was thinking free agent contracts, but that extension is going to look you really like if, if he gets that much money over the next couple of years. Like that's just bad resource management. I I would not do that, but I think they're going to have to. Yeah, I wonder if he if he comes with like I want twenty five million dollars or or else I'm out of here, or I'm going to you know make a big stink about this and it's going to be real. I'm going to be an unhappy player. Then like I wonder if they just you know bite the bullet on that and and go for it. So. You know, that's that's going to be interesting. I did. I didn't. I hadn't thought about that with the extensions uh, in addition to the free agent contracts this summer, because I don't I don't see necessarily a bunch of bad free agent contracts this summer just because there isn't that much money out there. There aren't that many you know high level players out there who might you know, you might want to give a bunch of money to, but then they fall off because there's just not those kinds of high, you know, high level players. So you would hope that teams, even though teams with cap space would not you know, blow it in free agency on these bad contracts, but, you know, an extension for John Collins at, you know, whatever, four years, a hundred million, like that could get dicey really, really fast. I think it's the Knicks with Drummond. I think we're going to see them pay Andre Drummond a lot of money to play basketball for them for the next couple of years. Yeah. I mean, That's I wonder guy. that makes the most sense to me. Those two seem perfect for each other long-term. I wonder if he even opts out uh, from, from his, his deal in Cleveland. I think that that maybe he will, maybe, you know, I, I'm not sure that, uh, 
I'm not sure how happy Drummond is being in Cleveland. You know, obviously he didn't choose to go to Cleveland and there isn't a whole lot of investment there from them. It's not like they paid, you know, a a first round pick to get him. So they're, you know, if he decided to walk to the, to the Knicks for a hundred million dollars, I don't think, I think it would be very smart for, for the Cavs to, to let him go on that kind of money. But, uh, you know, I think the Knicks, you know, they could, they're, they're always a, a good option for a team that is going to overspend on somebody they shouldn't overspend on. The guy I'm most interested to see what he gets is Fred VanVleet. Yeah, I that dude is so good, and I just wonder if teams are going to be scared of giving him some sort of mega deal because I think certain guys are going to get paid more than him, and we're going to be like, do people know that Fred VanVleet's a better basketball player than him? Like, there's no reason Demar Derozan should make more money than Fred VanVleet in 2020. Like, Fred VanVleet's a better basketball player, and I I'm very interested to see what happens there, and I'm interested to see if Hayward opts out. Because Hayward is just the Boston stuff. It's not really his fault. Everything that happened there, but like him wanting a fresh start and being like, I just got to get out of here. Like I, this is Tatum's team now. This is not my group of guys. I'm the sixth man. Like it's just not not going to work. Like what if he just goes to Miami and just goes where the team wanted him anyway? A fresh start. Go to South Beach. Play with those guys. Start. I'm interested to see a lot of the, this this player movement there because I think he could opt out and wouldn't surprise me. DeRozan opting out wouldn't surprise me. Um, and then, obviously, the elephant in the room. If the Lakers don't win the title this year and Anthony <laughs> Davis opts out, like, just, I mean, woof. And then who could forget? Jeff Teague's a free agent. So, um, he, sure. he was not good, by the way, watching those. No. He was, it, I think it's over for him. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's going to be interesting. Like, I, I really want to see what Fred, what happens to Fred Van Vliet, though. Yeah, I, I, the thing with, with him versus DeMar DeRozan, like, it really depends on what you need, right? Like, if you're a team who needs that primary scorer and is looking to go from 30 wins to 40 wins, you know, I think that, that DeMar makes a lot more sense than Van Vliet. If you are a team that is sort of has the outline of a, ta- of a, of a 45 win team and you want to push for, you know, a, a second round or, or conference finals appearance and 50 wins, like that's where Van Vliet is a lot more you know, helpful, you know, for a team like Atlanta, Van Vliet would be high on my, on their priority list and De- oh, DeMar DeRozan wouldn't even appear on it. Sign me up. Um, like he would be another really good option as a, as a, secondary ball handler but can defend point guards and can take the pressure off of Trey Young on both ends of the floor and I think that uh, you know that makes sense for them he makes sense for for a lot of teams who who have that sort of primary playmaker already and but need the uh, the secondary guy next to him you know you would you worry that at some point he's you know going to break down physically just because he's kind of small and and just small in, in height not necessarily in in terms of how you know how strong he is but just in terms of height like at some point those smaller point guards you know break down a little bit earlier so i'd be wary of a longer term contract for him but uh, certainly a shorter term contract on big money uh you know makes sense for for a guy like van Vliet. all right well jeff this has been a great escape being able to talk about basketball for an hour today um is there anything that we should check out from you at early bird rights uh before we get out of here yeah, I mean, earlybirdrights.com. I'm writing about, you know, whatever I can at this point. I'm doing all my draft prep, and at some point there's going to be some draft coverage up there, but I want to get my all my ducks in a row before I start putting up some of my draft coverage there. Um, you know, you can read some of the articles that I've written already about how the coronavirus and, and this hiatus is going to affect the NBA financially, for both on, on the player side and on the team side. 
you know, at some point when we have uh, a playoff run, there's going to be game breakdowns and stuff like that. At some point, we're going to have an offseason and you're going to have offseason previews for all 30 teams like I've done the last few years. And then we're uh, then once we get into the, the summer, it's going to be, you know, keep it locked on early bird rights for all of the uh, the updates to salary cap sheets and all of that stuff. So, you know, everything is, is going to happen there as soon as things you know really start happening around the NBA. All right. There we go. Jeff, keep up the great work, sir. And I will talk with you soon. Yeah, appreciate you having me. All right, that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you uh, to the wonderful guests for coming on today's show. Thank you uh, to my wonderful listeners for listening to today's episode. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. Um, If you like today's episode, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple. It would be great. Um, It helps the show continue to grow, and I would very much appreciate it. Uh, You can also support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. For as little as $5 a month, it helps the show keep the lights on. So that would be a great help to me as well. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas. You could go to ChaseThomasPodcast.com, which has all of my stuff, all my episodes ever, um, links to everything that you need, um, and all of my writing that uh, I'm doing fairly often these days um, on the NFL, on NBA, on college football, on pro wrestling. I write about everything. I write a lot. Um, so go read me on that front. So if you're not tired of listening to me, you can also read me. Um, so that's awesome. But, uh, I think that's enough self-promotion from me for one episode. Uh, I hope you continue listening. That would be great. And, uh, I will talk to you all again very soon. Thanks guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.